0: Welcome to the Wealth and Wellness Podcast with me, Kaylee Boisvert. I specialize in helping people to achieve their financial goals. I have a love for all things numbers, and I am passionate about financial literacy. My goal is to spark healthy and positive conversations around wealth and investment and create a world where nobody is limited by their financial situation. But wealth is just one piece in the equation of living our best lives. So join me as we explore both wealth and wellness topics. From your net worth to your self-worth, get ready to take confident action. Hello, this is Kaylee and thank you for tuning into this episode. Today we are joined by special guest, Dr. Tanya Mudry. Tanya holds a PhD is a registered psychologist and assistant professor of counseling psychology in the University of Calgary's Workland School of Education. She supervises and trains counseling psychology students, practices family therapy at the Calgary Family Therapy Center, and has a small private practice. She has specialized clinical training in child and adolescent mental health and family therapy. Tanya's research and writing have focused on family therapy Financial Discourses in Family Therapy, Excessive Behaviors, Addiction and Recovery from Addiction, and Relational Recovery of Critical Care Survivors and Their Families. So thank you so much for being here, Tanya. I'm so excited to have you here. And it sounds like it's going to be a fun, interesting conversation. We're going to incorporate wealth and wellness. And um, so, yes, very excited. And just to get us started off, can you tell us a little bit more about your journey and what brought you to the work that you are doing today? Yeah,
1: for sure. So it's interesting as I came to family therapy, basically, because I was afraid of children and families, I was doing mental health work, and I was working with people with with um, anxiety and depression and that sort of thing. But anytime they would bring in their partners or their kiddos, or they would want to talk about family issue, I would get kind of freaked out and scared and worried that I wouldn't know what to do. So I decided to get some additional training and family therapy. Um, and then this training really changed everything that I did in terms of how I think about problems, how I think about how to practice, how I think about how people get along and how they achieve wellness. Um, Yeah, so I think like from the perspective that I take now, I don't really see problems as residing inside of somebody in their brains or in their distorted thoughts. I see problems and concerns happening kind of between people in relationships and in things outside of of their sort of their brains and their, their mental health.
0: Yes, I love that. So you leaned into it, even though it was scary. You wanted to learn more. Good for you. Very brave. Um, (laughs) Well, and I'm really excited to have you because to me, I'm like kind of conceptualizing now how we can think of like there's, as a financial professional, I think of, you know, money and there's money advice I give, but I've never really looked deeper into the relational aspects of it. And, you know, what does it mean when couples come together and, um, you know, struggle with money and things like that. So I'm excited because we're going to be chatting about some of those topics. Um, So to start out, I guess, what's really common, maybe, um, when we think about money and finances and couples is that um, families often have conflicts over money um, and maybe who's sort of in control of the money or who's making financial decisions and what money should be spent on and all those sorts of scenarios. So can you chat a little bit about that and what you see with that and um, how that shows up in relationships?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it it is pretty common. Families struggle um, to navigate finances. Exactly what you said, who's controlling it. If somebody's one person's working and the other person's not working or one person's making more money than the other, there's sometimes power dynamics that are happening. Um, There's lots of discussions around how People should spend money, what they should focus on, their values around money, how they grew up, how they want to see their future. So, I think we see a lot of discussions about money. Um, The other piece is when there's financial pressure or there's financial stress happening, that can also cause conflict unrelated to money. So, I think right now, like in Alberta with COVID 19 and the economy changes and that sort of thing, there's a lot of stress around work and money. And I think when there's stress, sometimes we're not as kind to our partners or to our family members, or we're a little bit more grumpy. And so we also see sometimes relational conflicts happening because of financial stress that might not even be money conversations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So then kind of seeing it from those two sides, first off, if we're looking at, okay, just the differences, like the dynamics of if there's two people and it's okay, Uh, maybe one person makes more money or um, maybe one person's more of a spender and one's a saver. What happens in those scenarios? Like what, um, you know, what do you see people dealing with and maybe what are some, I guess, good strategies to work on if that's the, that's the way that the the stress is coming up.
1: Mm -hmm. So I think from a family therapy perspective, what we tend to look at is um, relational patterns of interaction. So I tend to look at how do people, get caught in ways to, ways of talking with each other, or ways of having conversation that are either helpful or unhelpful. So in terms of money, something like spending, um, a common pattern that we see in family therapy is criticizing leading to defending. And so if somebody in my life is spending money in a way that um, I don't think is that helpful or that I don't agree with, I might get a little critical. So I might say to you, Kaylee, like, why did you buy those jeans? We don't even have money to go see a movie. If I were to sort of ask you that, how would you think you would respond?
0: I'd be on the defense. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And then I'd start attacking your decisions with money.
1: Exactly. So you'd probably be like, I haven't bought jeans in forever, and you just bought new running shoes, and I don't understand why you're always my back, and then it just creates this vicious cycle. Um, that can sometimes lead then to hiding. So if people are hiding purchases. So if you're afraid of me getting angry about jeans buying, you might buy jeans, And then hide them from me and I might get some sort of sense and become a little bit mistrustful. So there's all kinds of patterns that we get into um, as in couple relationship in parent-child relationship even in friendships that can be sort of unhelpful. So oftentimes as a family therapist I try to bring out these different positions or or, um, patterns of interactions. So something like criticizing invites defending or defensiveness I might look at other opportunities. So if you were wanting jeans, we might have an open conversations about, you know, why, why you wanted to buy jeans at this time. And you might say, you know, Tanya, I've been feeling really low with COVID lately and feeling stuck at home and I really wanted to treat myself because we're just not doing any fun things. And that might open up a conversation to have more of a mutual understanding, respectful conversation. And we might find ways to support each other differently rather than fighting, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that. And then what about then for those, the second scenario we talked about, and it's just those financial stressors triggering other conflicts. Um, so, just the stress of COVID, like you said, and job losses, like it, it's been huge, and I think it's had some sort of impact on everyone. Um, but the financial impact is a big piece of that. So, what can we do if we're kind of misdirecting, maybe anger or conflicts are arising because of that added stress?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a big one. I think that there's a couple of things. One is to have patience for our family members, for our partners, for our kids. There's, when there's a lot of stress, our fuses are just a little bit short. So we go from zero to a hundred, just like that. So it might be a, a coffee cup left in the sink or socks by the bed or backpacks on the floor. And it just causes a lot of anger resentment. Um, so I think the first thing is just to be aware that right now things are tough and that there's gonna be shorter fuses. So having a little bit of patience and extra kindness and sensitivity around that can be helpful. Um, The other piece is really to have conversation, Um, not when people are stressed, not when there's anger, or there's, you know, furrowed brows, but um, on a nice, you know, on Saturday morning, if everybody's eating pancakes or something like that, just kind of make note that things have been hard lately, you know, things are stressful at school, people might not be working, we're all stuck in the same house and um, kind of talk as a family or talk as a couple in terms of how to make um, the situation more survivable. So sometimes, especially right now when things are really, really stressful, it's about achieving an okayness or a survival-ness more than sort of optimal functioning. Because I think we're all kind of struggling a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like having that grace and just, yeah, knowing that and you're right, waiting for the right time. Like if it's rather than in that high conflict moment, if we can just put that conversation off until... Maybe it is a better time to approach it. I like that strategy. (laughs) And I think the other big strategy that I think is so, so
1: important is doing some of the fun things together. And so when we're stressed or things are not so great and we're a little bit more in the dumps, we tend not to think about fun activities. And so it's really important to, you know, if money concerns are a problem, thinking about you know, free or or really inexpensive date nights or activities to do with the kids can be really helpful to sort of bring up morale and remember why we care about one another and why we like to hang out with each other and all of the good things about the relationship. Because um, we do tend to get bogged down by the negative, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then when you're bogged down by the negative, you find lots of other negative reasons. <laughs> to go with the theme I love that and just yeah getting creative I think we're all kind of having to think outside of the box right because it's we're all in different scenarios so it's like okay maybe you can't go out and have a movie night or something like that but let's make it like a movie theater in the house and kind of recreate that with the family and the kids and yeah I like that so creative ways I think we're all trying to yeah just think outside of the box and do things a bit differently now. Um, this still kind of, I think something too, though, that comes up to, for me with like relationships and finances is, um, kind of just the difference of the dynamics when, when there is a scenario, when one person is working and one person isn't. So whether that's the result of COVID or it was the case prior to, um, maybe, you know, and typically I guess we often see it's a woman staying at home. If that's where the scenario is, you know, people are opting to stay at home with the kids usually we're still seeing it's the woman who stays at home. And I think that like the, the power dynamics sometimes then shift around money and how does, like, I'm just trying to think of like women in that scenario. Um, oftentimes maybe, you know, understanding what their place is and and spending money and still feeling like, you know, they're on equal footing, even though they're not out there earning the money. Um, yeah. Is there anything you can comment on that? Like, it's just something I see come up and women almost feeling guilty about spending money when they're not the ones earning the money.
1: I think it's a really tricky scenario. And I think every sort of relationship's a little bit different in that, in that regard. So whether it's guilt or whether there's a feeling of lack of power or whether there is um, actual lack of power and all those types of things. I think one thing that's really important to think about is if possible, to try to have an honest conversation where blame and criticism doesn't happen. Because what happens in these types of dynamics is we get caught in automatically getting defensive. So if somebody were to say, you know, I, um, I know I'm not working right now and this is a real struggle, um, but I still want to do X, Y, and Z that might elicit some sort of defensiveness. Like it's not my fault or that's not my problem or, or whatever it is. Um, and so what we often talk about is how do we share our feelings in a way that we're completely owning it, our own experience. So I feel like this, I feel disempowered right now. I feel, um, I feel worried. I feel like I, like I I'm stuck, um, and not put it on the other person. Um, when we do that, then the other person can actually listen with open ears without getting defensive. Because what often ha- happens is we're not, off, we're not always listening to our partners or to our kids because we're already on the defense before it happens, before the conversation even starts. Um, so I think in those situations is trying to find a way to really share your experience in a really gentle way where you're really owning your experience and not blaming. other person and sometimes that could mean writing it down ahead of time practicing you know speaking it aloud without the other person being there so that you know that you're saying what you want to say in a way that's not going to be causing conflict um that will be received in a way that's really helpful yeah and And then the person on the receiving end (laughs) the other person then needs to also try to be open to hearing um their partner or their loved one's experience without it um, meaning anything about them. So two yeah. people can have different perspectives on the same, the same situation and both are important and valid and they don't have to necessarily mirror each other. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And I think just in general, like when I'm thinking about this, it, I think it's just that it's hard to talk about money, like just in general with anyone, I think it's this very vulnerable place, but as couples like oftentimes i think it's hard to have that very open communication about money whether it's people that are dating or people that are married like it it sometimes surprises me you know how little someone knows about their partner's finances and things like that so is there strategies you suggest for couples coming together and having those uncomfortable money conversations <laughs> I think, yes, yes, yeah, I think that it starts with having conversations in general,
1: I think that it's not just money conversations, I think sometimes couples struggle to talk about many things, (laughs) and I think it's getting used to talking first of all, and I think one of the ways that is helpful to do that is to tell stories about the past, maybe when they grew up, And that can help the other person really get an insight into why they think the way they do, what they value, what they, what their beliefs are, what is important to them. So it could be a story of, um, it it could be an invitation. Let's start telling stories more about what it was like growing up. And it could be a story about having the most amazing Christmas, Christmas is coming up, or the most devastating Christmas, or it might be about the way that, um, you know, part time jobs worked when you were a young person or the way that chores worked or whatever, um, what you knew about your parents finances or not know and, and that those types of conversations can help your partner understand kind of who you are and where you're coming from in a way that isn't about your relationship. The relationship piece can come later, but I think it's getting used to talking to each other um, in general. The other piece is having conversations, um, again, in a calm time. Sometimes we recommend with couples setting aside time once a week or once every other week where it's just time to connect and talk about stuff. And it doesn't need to be hard stuff. It could just be, you know, first date questions all over again, or, you know, wishes and dreams or favorite memories of growing up or whatever that might look like. And it could, you know, be coffee on a Sunday morning or a glass of wine on a Friday night. Um, And The other piece that can be helpful is doing these kinds of conversations while walking or doing an activity because it's very vulnerable to look face-to-face and to have a conversation. Um, And so oftentimes going for a walk, grabbing a tea, you know, walking the dog, going to the dog park or whatever whatever that might look like can also reduce that sense of vulnerability, which will make us more open to hear the other person rather than um, getting kind of nervous and in our own head about our experience or what they think of
0: us and that sort of thing. I love that idea. You're getting some exercise in and you're right. Like it is something, there is a different kind of dynamic or vibe when you're just, yeah, walking and side by side and having those conversations. Cause yeah, eye contact can be more difficult or vulnerable or yeah, something about it feels deeper. So I love those ideas. Thank you. Um, And you touched on too, just something that comes up often, I think, and maybe you can comment on it a little bit more. Is that, is that narrative narratives and beliefs about money? So I think of myself, and I grew up in a single parent family, and money was a source of stress and struggle. And I saw my parents fight about it when my dad, you know, wasn't working and things like that. And then they ultimately got divorced, and um, then it was yeah, struggling because my mom, you know, had to have multiple jobs and things like that. So it's I I think of these backgrounds and. And things that people carry with them because m- me myself, <laughs> you know, I reflect on my own situation. So what do you have to suggest for people about that? Because I think what's important to recognize is that you know sometimes those narratives I remind people, they're not even ours. They're what we picked up in childhood. So how do we kind of work through that to make sure that we're in a space where we're in a healthy place and decide, okay, is that serving me? Is that the best way for me to be you know, seeing it now or do I need to make some changes and updates to create my own version of what this needs to look like?
1: Yeah, I love that. And I, I think what you said is, is perfect. It's sort of came to you at childhood. But sometimes it's come to you way before then, so my family, I come from a farming community and my family immigrated and they were always farmers. So there's this idea of needing to work hard and that you shouldn't treat yourself and that you should be you know, all work and no play or at least all work and maybe a little bit of play, that sort of thing. Um, so I think the biggest thing is starting to think about your, your past, your history, asking questions about what it was like growing up, asking questions of parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles about some of those stories. Um, Because the more that you're aware of those stories and thinking about how do these stories still play out in our in my life today, um, can be really helpful and and then having those conversations if there is conflict with your partner or with your kids or whatever that looks like telling them those stories, because then they start to get to know who you are and why you think the way that you do. And then when there's conflict, it's easier to say, you know what, like, I kind of lost my top the other day about the jeans. And that's probably because, you know, I only had two pairs of jeans growing up. And I always, you know, we only shopped at secondhand stores. And I always got, you know, you know, I always felt guilty about, you know, spending money, or I was always envious of the other kids. And then you can really start to understand sort of your frame of reference and why you're coming from the place that you are. Um, And then with that partner or with your kid, you can maybe come together and find a solution that makes sense for the current circumstance. So is this you know, a legacy of growing up on the farm or is this you know, a really huge concern right now? Is it a mix of both? Is it have something to do with Instagram and culture and wanting to buy all the things? Um, but then you can have those open conversations that come from a place of um, understanding and curiosity rather than defensiveness and power.
0: Yeah. And when you're saying that, like your background, that working hard, that came up with for me too. So I made sure I actually decided I'm like, I'm going to write these things down that are coming up. Cause I, and that really helped. Like I always remember like writing things down, it's sort of, it's using a different part of your brain or whatever that is. But that was one of the things I wrote down was that like, it's, you have to work really hard and it's hard to have a lot of money or you'd, you'd have to be working, you know, 20 hour days or something crazy like that. If you really are going to be a millionaire or something. And then when I wrote it down, I looked at it and I was like, that's silly, like <laughs> writing it down and actually reflecting on it. You're like, that's not real. Um, so I think, yeah, like you said, having that awareness of what that is and when you're talking to people in your life about it, it's just really diving deeper into that awareness. Um,
1: And writing is really important as well. They've actually done research around like therapeutic writing and it being as effective as going to counseling. So journaling is awesome. Writing down those ideas, what, you know, the thoughts that you have that are a bit silly, but then also the thoughts that you want to have going forward, right? Sort of some of those affirmations or, or positive thoughts that you're wanting to cultivate can be really powerful as well.
0: Yeah. And so what are then some like, what would you say are some of those really powerful, like either individual or collaborative approaches that we can incorporate then moving forward to kind of have, you know, to change that narrative or to have, you know, healthier conversations or a relationship with money?
1: I think the biggest thing for me is in terms of conflict and relationships, I'll start there, is really having open dialogue and collaborative conversations, really being curious and open to, Um, the other people in your family, their ideas, their their creativity, their examples of what could be different. Um, I think in terms of parents, parents are often underestimating kids and kids have really good ideas. So when I work with families, I usually try to get parents to ask their kids about their good ideas. So it could be a, you know, a movie night at home that you, know, you make it seem like a theater and you play music beforehand and you have all the ruckus or maybe it's a pretend trip to Mexico where you listen to Mexican music and eat tacos or, or whatever that might look like. I think kids are so bright and creative that they actually have way better ideas than, than adults do. And I think we need to ask them and see what they come up with. Um, but I think it's about opening up spaces for conversation that is sometimes more playful than hard I think that having um, good um, relational experiences, good times with your family or good times with your partner or your friends, is is so important because it's protective for when the hard things happen.
0: Yeah, and I love that idea with kids and getting them incorporated. I think that's so important, and I always talk about you know, financial literacy and how we have to get our kids involved in the conversation and how do we teach our kids about money? And November is actually financial literacy month, so very relevant now as well. Um, is there any other ways we can involve kids then in these conversations as it relates to money? Um, because I, you know, I sometimes I give ideas for ways we can teach our kids about money, but I guess just really understanding, um, you know, the impact in the family dynamics piece of that and, and what are some strategies that, really work well and, and still maintaining that you know healthy dynamics and relationships and things like that in family
1: yeah I think we don't want to tell our kids too too much about what's going on in adult life because sometimes kids get um they can pick up some of the worry so we you know we need to be age appropriate in terms of oh you know um, we want to make sure that we're saving so that we can go on a trip or we want to make sure that we're, we're taking care of our, our bank account so that we can take care of ourselves and so that we can have food and clothes and that sort of thing versus um, getting very worried and saying, oh, I don't know how we're going to pay bills this month, Johnny, you know, no more cookies for you or whatever that might look like it. It's, it's more about having age appropriate conversations so that they can understand that um, you know, parents need to work in order to provide for, for the family and they need to, you know, make sure that there's, there's milk in the fridge and that there's dinner on the table and all of those types of things. Um, I think it's really great to get kids involved in terms of learning about money through things like um, if, if allowance is going to be part of your family life, then having kids sort of brainstorm in part of that process. So I've worked with a lot of families where Um, When you actually get kids to list out things that they like to do or they know how to do for chores, um, they actually list more things often than parents would think that they would do, and when you ask kids, you know, how how much time on video games do you think that would earn, or how much allowance do you think that would earn, they usually guess less than what parents would do as well and which is often helpful for parents to not realize that they have to sort of give all this stuff or all this money for for chores so if you you know start listing things on on a piece of paper or on a whiteboard you know what are the things you think you can do and kids might say you know picking up shoes hanging backpacks brushing teeth before bed without being asked um you know feeding the dog whatever that might be Um, And then listing the privileges, they'll probably say, you know, five minutes of video game time or or 25 cents or or whatever that might look like. Um, And then the kids take a little bit of pride about being part of that process in terms of, oh, it was me who said I could walk or feed the dog. So I know I can do it. So then when when the dog is hungry and looking at you, it's easier to say to Johnny, well, you did say that you were going to feed the dog versus, you know, I decided that you were going to feed the dog. And I decided that this is what, how much video game time that would be worth, um, and so it kind of helps kids learn from their sort of own perspective and their worldview about how to, how to save for things, how to how how we earn privileges or earn money, and that can be really helpful.
0: Yeah, I love that. It made me think of my daughter because she was trying to bargain for something too, and she was like. I was kind of left it up to her. I'm like, well, you'd have to do some of your math homework. She's like, okay, I'll do any And in my head, I was like, oh, maybe I'll make her do five pages or something. She's like, I'll do 20 pages. I'm like, <laughs> I got way more than I bargained for. So I'm like, okay. It's true. <laughs> oh, it's yes. true. Yeah. So that age appropriate conversations, love that. And then getting them involved and having them come up with these, being in the strategy piece of it as well. I love that. Um, just with yeah. that biggest thing is being consistent then
1: because kids are expert bargainers and they're expert little lawyers and they will they will try that's their job their job is to try to get away with more than what is agreed upon and so knowing that you need to stay really consistent and keep your boundaries like go back to the list it's good to put it on a piece of paper and put it on the fridge or whatever and just kind of walk over and like okay let's go see here what you know what you can do for I don't know the extra ice cream or whatever that they're wanting to buy um, but not giving in because then they'll try to get that and get whatever it is that they're bargaining for.
0: Yeah. That makes me think of two actually. Okay. This brings me back to me talking about, okay, I grew up single parent family and it was, you know, lack and we never had enough. Mm-hmm. And so now that I am a mother to a child based on that, I I'm worried that I'm going the other way of like, I would want to give everything to my child or anything she wants but in my head, I also know, well, that wouldn't serve her. And that's, you know, I don't want to raise a monster who's all about instant gratification and thinks she gets everything she wants. So what do you recommend for that? Like, if we're like, do you find that people kind of go both ways because of their past experiences and how can we kind of navigate then?
1: Absolutely. I think that's really common. And I think parents, who have a little bit more affluence or able to give their kids more feel this desire because they're trying to sort of um, give their children what they didn't get to have growing up. And sometimes that goes great. And then sometimes it backfires and sometimes then there's a lot of backpedaling. So it's really important to be as intentional as possible. Um, Having nice things is great. you know, giving kids things is great. Um, but it's, I think a big piece is being really thoughtful about it and involving kids in the conversation too, saying, you know, we can't have ice cream all of the time, three meals a day. We can't buy everything that we like or or choose everything that we like because that's, you know, that's not the way life is, you know, you you also can't go and do everything that you want all the time. Otherwise we'd all be on vacation and everything else. Um, and so I think it is about, Being transparent with kids about why you're making your decisions or why you're choosing to you know make rules or traditions in the family around money in the way that you are because that is also modeling to to your daughter for example of why 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 you're making the choices you are
0: yeah yeah i love that um and then just in general like we've talked about okay here's some strategies. And these are ideas from family. Like you get to sit down with families all the time and work through family therapy. So for people that are just maybe not familiar with it, who've never gone through that experience, you know, what does that look like? When are we engaging or utilizing family therapy? When would, might that make sense for a family? Um, Yeah, just a little bit more about that. Cause I think sometimes even looking at it from a proactive sense makes sense as well, but maybe it's not something we actually ever thought about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure.
1: So when somebody's practicing from a family therapy perspective, they're typically um, making the goal or the problem or the concern a family concern. So oftentimes parents do come to family therapy because they're worried about a kid. So my child is X or my child is Y or my child isn't behaving. Um, A family therapist doesn't typically focus on the child, they focus on everything else that's happening in the household. Um, And so family therapists don't look at a child as being the problem, they're looking at how are we interacting as a family, what are the stressors in the family, and then how do we work together to make it um, sort of a better process moving forward. So oftentimes, family therapists will sit down with the family and get everybody's sort of perspective, everybody's um, view of what's happening in the family, and then try to create a shared goal. So sometimes if something like criticism, criticizing and defending is a big problem in the family, you know, um, Johnny's saying, well, mom's always yelling at me and dad's saying, yeah, mom's always on my back too. And the mom's like, oh, you guys don't like me. And there's all this criticism. Um, We might, as a family, decide that we would like to do something different, which might be about expressing more appreciation and gratitude. And when we express more appreciation and gratitude, we're less grumpy, we're less mean to each other. And so then typically in a family therapy situation, you're creating a shared goal that everybody in the family um, agrees on or at least understands why. And then you're working towards sort of changing those patterns of, of speaking with each other and communicating in ways that are more helpful and more fulfilling and more loving rather than um, you know, harmful and, and hurtful and, gets people sort of on the defense. So from a family therapist would say you can come to family therapy for any problem because we see problems in general as being relational. Um, so that being said, if you do go see somebody who comes from family therapy perspective, be prepared to be sort of doing the work as well. Everybody in the family will be doing the work and, and helping out and, and thinking about how they're talking and how they're interacting and how they're behaving. So it is very much, um, we work towards taking the problem outside of the child and into sort of our interactions as, as a family.
0: Okay, I love that. So shared goals. Yeah, that's something I didn't even realize either and how that would look. So yeah. Cause I could think of, you know, what it probably looks from the personal perspective. We can all kind of understand that, but yeah. What does it look like in the whole group scenario? So that's very helpful. Thank you. Um, is there anything else you want to share? Like, is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like listeners to, yeah, as a takeaway or anything like that? Um, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot
1: lately, and I've been doing some, um, webinars and things like that in terms of, um, teens and youth and COVID and stress and that sort of thing, I think the biggest thing is making space for some positive things in your family. So if things are tight, people are stressed about money, people are stressed about unemployment, people are stressed about whether or not school's going to happen and who's going to take care of kids and all of that, it's really important to make time for those small good moments and not always focus on the negative. And it might sound a bit sort of fluffy or airy-fairy, but it makes a huge difference because if you have kids that are struggling with anxiety or with depression or, or with tantrums or whatever's happening, if, if you're creating good experiences for them outside of those struggles, they're more likely to open up when there's things that are hard. Um, and, and those positive sort of relational experiences really do buffer and provide some resilience for when things get tough. So yeah. I think that's my number one
0: takeaway. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, the focusing on the positive and the little things that we can be grateful for. And I love that reminder too. And you're right. It just, it goes a long way with kids if it's, because it there is a lot going on and sometimes we don't think maybe they're picking up on all of it, but you can, you can tell that they do. Like they pick up on our emotions and our stress, even if they're not reading the newspaper and, you know, or watching what we're looking at over social media and things like that. They're still- you know, hearing it maybe from their friends, or they're still picking up on it from us. So we do have to just acknowledge that I think. Kids are little sponges. They are little sponges. Well, thank you so much. And how can listeners find you, Tanya, if they want to reach out? Yeah, I'll, I'll leave you with my
1: I've got sort of a university website. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. So I'll leave all of those my Twitter handle, I think is at Tanya Moutry. I'm not super active on there. But people can certainly get a hold of me there.
0: Absolutely. Okay. And we'll include those links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Tanya. This has been great. Lots of great strategies for people to start um, utilizing right now in their families and let's keep it positive. Let's do what we can to have those. Yeah. Little wins, positive kind of fun things as well on the go too, for our families. Wonderful. Thank Thank you so you so much. All right. Until next time. Thanks so much, everyone. I hope you found value in this episode and because I'm such a proponent of taking confident action I want to pose a question to you the listener what is one action that you feel inspired to take after listening to today's episode if you enjoyed listening please subscribe and share with your friends and family thank you so much and I will catch you next time